energy is the top topic in Europe for Russian propagandists at this point, because they understand the war is not popular. They're probably not going to swing Germans to Putin's side and convince them that it's a just war. What they can do is under start chipping away at support and get people to say, well, I don't like this war. I am not in favor of what Putin is doing, but I also don't want to freeze to death over the winter, or I don't want to go broke paying exorbitant energy prices. Hello and welcome to the inoculation. My name is Eva von Schaber. And I'm Daiva Repechkaite. So, welcome back after the summer. We're starting today, we're starting our new season and we're really excited about it. Yeah, and we're we're planning to be a bit more focused and we're going to talk more about Germany. Today we're talking about um, energy misinformation, especially um, looking at energy supply in Germany. And I think we have an exciting episode coming up in two weeks as well. What are we going to be talking about in two weeks, Daiva? Yeah, we're, we're planning a, an episode on homeopathy. It will be very interesting to see how this links up. We want to do a really um, deep dive into homeopathy. We're going to look at the history of homeopathy. Is there any evidence that it works? Uh, we don't think there's evidence. Um, and also how homeopathy ties into the anti-vaccine movement um, and the history of that. And uh, since we're talking about this, uh, I just want to remind you, you can support us by sharing the link to our show. You can donate on our website um, or you can uh, tweet about, if you liked it, you can tweet about our show or uh, post a Facebook post. Exactly. Everything helps us reach more people. So we really appreciate it. I'm actually confused because usually we talk about anti-vaccine disinformation and misinformation. Why are we talking about energy disinformation today? It's, uh, uh, first of all, linked by the political forces that have been spreading anti-vaccine disinformation and misinformation and malinformation. And uh, then it's also linked by the context uh, in which uh, these uh, malicious behaviors uh, reach their audiences. Welcome to the first uh, episode in this season, um, how Russia exploits anti-vax sentiment to spread energy disinformation. Who did we just hear in the opening quote? We heard from Brett Schaefer. He works at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. Right, and he's been um, researching disinformation and misinformation for a long time, and um, he has a, a program that looks at, that can gather and looks at information, disinformation, um, and can kind of see where it's popping up and what it's doing. So um, we talked to him before. We talked to him for the episode on Russian disinformation um, and on um, Sputnik disinformation, Sputnik being the Russian corona uh, vaccine, the Russian COVID vaccine. Yes, exactly. So uh, it's nice to have him back on our podcast. You also had the chance to talk to someone else. Can you can you tell me who that was? 
Yes. So in Brussels, uh, I met uh, his colleague, Christine Berzina. She's a senior fellow for security and defense policy at the German Marshall Fund, the United States. And she co-leads uh, this organization's Russia Transatlantic Initiative. So her focus is on security policy and she was the first person to introduce me to this idea that Russia and uh, Russia affiliated actors might be using health disinformation to influence opinion about its interests and spread disinformation about energy. Okay, I think we have to look at some some background here. So I think um, Daiva, we're going to add all the links to the transcript and to the website. Um, Right now, who is most most dependent on Russian? Who is buying Russian energy in Europe? Russia is the world's largest gas exporter. And of all the European countries, Germany is the largest importer, followed by Italy. Exactly. So, for example, in Lithuania, where I'm from, or Malta, where I currently live, uh, they use these giant ships, uh, na uh, liquid natural gas shipments. But this is not the case for European countries that uh, get their gas by land. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And um, a lot of the Russian gas travels through pipelines. And two that we hear a lot about are um, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. So Nord Stream 2 was um, still being built and um, due to Russia's unprovoked attack on the Ukraine, we're not going to, it's probably never going to go online. And then there's Nord Stream 1, and it runs from Russia on the bottom of the Baltic Sea all the way to Germany to a town in the north of Germany called Greifswald. So it's a huge investment in that sense. So the countries really have to agree and work very closely to build such a massive piece of infrastructure. Exactly. It's a huge investment. And in fact, uh, Europe and um, especially Germany is, is quite dependent on Russian gas. When, when Russia invaded the Ukraine, this immediately had repercussions. And the gas is used for what? For heating, for energy generation? So it's used for heating and it's, it's used to generate electricity. And, but also what we're especially talking about in Germany, because um, a lot of public spaces are turning down the heat and um, the swimming pool has been turned down by two or three degrees, which is quite cold, I can tell you. <laughs> public swimming pools are colder. Um, public buildings are being kept colder. People are, are worried about this. So it's definitely something, a kind, of, a kind of bread and butter issue, something that people face every day. Yes, and, and especially in Germany, I can tell you this, is that the people are quite worried and, um, you know, they're uh, buying wood or they're buying little uh, um, solar generators to go on their roofs to to have some something to depend on. And they're also quite worried because uh, prices are are going up, especially for um, prices for electricity and, and prices for heating um, are looking to be astronomical. I think some forecasts say that the average German household will have to pay something like 450 euros 
a month for electricity versus about 130 last year. So if so many people are getting upset about this, that's a big challenge to to the ruling politicians, right? And that's something potentially useful to Russia. Well, it's something that 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 everybody is impacted by. Of course, this is this is a huge deal. And I think what we also have to clearly say is that there are some voices saying, you know what, um, Putin or Russia is is using this energy to um, to sway German public opinion from being against Russia, from being anti-Russian. So what is happening now? So Europe and Germany, they've been um, using Russian natural gas for a long time. And um, last, even last year, uh, a majority by far of all Germans, I think over three quarters, were, were pro-completion of the second Nord Stream pipeline. Um, and then, of course, in February of this year, um, Russia invaded the Ukraine. And um, since that, since that invasion, not only has energy become much more expensive, but Russia has also um, stopped sending natural gas via the pipelines, both the overland pipelines and the uh, Nord Stream pipeline. For some Germans and for some German politicians, obviously, there's this feeling that Putin is using uh, Russia's gas supplies to put pressure on the German public. And also to put pressure on German politicians, of course, and on European politicians. So Russia wants to influence the public opinion to maintain this pressure and uh, to maybe um, flip-flop on uh, European and uh, Western support to Ukraine's armament efforts? Well, I think it would be definitely would be in Russia's interest to uh, influence the public opinion. So how did it, did what, when you talked to Christine Bersina, did she tell you how Russia goes about influencing public opinion? Yeah, so based on her and her colleagues' research, uh, Russia is using its extensive media ecosystem uh, to influence public opinion. Let's listen in what she had to say. So disinformation on energies has been a very important part of the Russian uh, narratives that they have pushed in Europe. In Germany, we had a, ran a project looking at the uh, Russian and Chinese info space in Germany, in German, before the elections. So with the messaging that we saw, during the pandemic, before the election, from uh, from Russia to Germany in their German language outlets, was pandemic response and Nord Stream. Uh, and what, so we saw what seemed to be a very concerted strategy to take those who are unhappy about COVID response, about restrictions, about you know like encouragement of vaccinations, they get pulled in and start clicking more on the RT or Sputnik articles. Then they start putting more and more Nord Stream content. So actually what I'm interested in is how does this operation, how does this Russian disinformation operation um, actually get people interested in the energy supply? Because um, this has been going on for some time. So how, how actually do they pull people in? Christine says that uh, they use other issues that um, people are searching for, including public health issues. Uh, let's listen to what she told me. But the way they got people in the door to be looking at the foreign policy or energy issues, which might not be at all what the audience initially wants to do, is to go in through that hot button issue of the moment, 
which was the pandemic and the corona response. They want in a strategic arc to shape the views of audiences on that energy issue, or Nord Stream issue. No, I, I, I feel as though all these foreign policy or big more abstract pipeline issues are not the issues that are going to be motivating people um, to, to get pulled in, right? It's the, simply the thing that you hear in the background or the few headlines that you saw, and you maybe didn't even click on them, but you saw the line. What they're doing is kind of putting out things, putting out issues that they know people are interested in. Yeah, and Brett told us that uh, once they feel seen and heard by these channels, then they might give them a follow. Using those morsels of information or those like salacious information or this, this information or these headlines that people, they know people would get worked up about just to get people looking at their channel. Is that right? Is that what they're doing? Exactly. And we already heard from uh, Marlin in the episode about Sweden, how different issues link up. And once people are lured into one conspiracy, then uh, they will sooner or later be driven to another. Uh, okay. So let's just, let's just um, drop the snippet of what Brett told us. Basically, they, they looked at RT, which is a Russian state-run uh, television channel, uh, Russia Today, they looked at it over uh, a couple of months and they said, wow, the videos that get the most engagement, that are most viewed, um, are those that uh, deal with uh, public health and just, let's just say, COVID skepticism, vaccine skepticism. Russian state media had a bigger footprint in Germany than it has in many parts of the world. So when we did a survey, uh, about a six-month survey before the German elections, what we found is RT Deutsch was actually the number one most engaged with German language media outlet on Facebook. In our monitoring, when you looked at the posts that were gaining the most traction, like 80% of them were about public health skepticism. I mean, it was sort of a shocking amount. So where they found an audience, or at least their most uh, committed audience, was pushing sort of anti-vax or anti-mask, just sort of anti-public health messaging, especially into countries where you probably weren't seeing a ton of that in the mainstream media. So, for example, on RT Deutsch, RT Deutsch's YouTube channel, when it was operational, something like 90 to 95% of their most viewed videos over a five-month period before the election dealt with public health skepticism. Yes, exactly. And uh, Malin, I think, spent a very long time, uh, she's a Swedish journalist, she spent a very, very long time with uh, Swedish and um, Scandinavian anti-vax groups just to see how what they did to pull parents in and she posed, I think, as a concerned mother. And um, I think she said what she was most astonished about was that the leader of these, of the Scandinavian, of one of the Scandinavian anti-vax groups, just clearly said, you know, once you have, you know, once you pull the parents in, then you can, then it's time to just uh, start disseminating more and more information. Let's just say, like right-wing conspiracies theories, etc., etc., etc. You can listen to this episode if you haven't so far. We'll put a link in the show notes. 
Um, and uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting that Brett told us was that he's very, this is not actually about Russia um, spreading falsehoods or lies, is it? I mean, it's very the, I think it's, it, when we talked to him uh, um, last year, I think it's something that he called malinformation. Let's just hear what he had to say, how he explained um, how Russia goes about contorting information uh, for their gain. What we're seeing is what is categorized as malinformation, which means the information is technically true, but it is presented without context or with mis misleading context to mislead an audience. So I'll give you an example. An RT headline, much of it in all caps, seven die in Spanish nursing home after receiving Pfizer vaccine. This, this was true. This is technically true, but it's a nursing home. People, unfortunately, die all the time. They're old. And it even says in the article at a certain point, none of the deaths had anything to do with the Pfizer vaccine at all, unrelated. So what they would do is often create these causal fallacies where you present some terrible thing that has happened to people who have received a vaccine. And they cover themselves, even in the article themselves, saying, well, they aren't, they aren't actually related. So they're, they're essentially debunking their own headlines, but we know the way people consume information right now. They read the headlines because they're scrolling through a feed. The really salient point is how, I'm going to say, effective Russia is at using public health skepticism as a sort of stepping stone into audiences to then promote foreign policy goals and agendas. But I think it actually, it also really highlights how malevolent their information systems are. I mean, you're, you're talking about really damaging public health globally in an effort to spread propaganda. I think um, our episode where we talked about Russian disinformation actors, which we call the falsehood fire hose, is actually a quite interesting listen as well, and we'll put in a link to that. And I think you took a look at Twitter to find out if we could find some evidence of this working, right? So we collected uh, German uh, politicians' tweets. So these, these are German politicians who sit at the European Parliament, uh, so they actually shape policy at the European level. And we wanted to see uh, which tweets are the most popular. So which uh, ones have are the most retweeted and uh, uh, get the most uh, favorites. Among those that mention the Nord Stream uh, pipelines, the most popular tweet was by Maximilian Kra. And so who is this Maximilian Kra guy? He's a representative uh, from Dresden of the uh, Alternative for Germany, political party. That's at the far right of Germany's political spectrum, I think we can say. So they're quite nationalist, um, anti-immigrants. Also, I think it's fair to say that uh, there's a lot of anti-vaccination, anti-lockdown sentiment in that party. Exactly. So in the European Parliament, uh, he sits with the Identity and Democracy Group. And uh, actually, so on the topic of Nord Stream, the four most popular tweets were his. Okay. Um, and let me guess, were they pro Nord Stream or were they more critical of Nord Stream? 
as you can expect, they're very pro Nord Stream. I, I think the pipeline has a very enthusiastic ambassador in the German um, far-right uh, party here. So, uh, for example, in his most popular uh, tweet, he veers into a kind of conspiratorial mode. Nord Stream. Da beide Pipelines betroffen sind, scheidet Zufall aus. Um auf dem Meeresboden Sabotagejagde auszuführen, braucht es Marinetaucher. Hier hat ein Staat einen Sabotagejagd gegen Deutschland verübt. Und das war sicher nicht Russland. Whoever damaged uh, Nord Stream under the sea must have been a state actor and definitely not Russia. So hmm, could, who could this be? So at the end of um, September, there were um, reports that natural gas was streaming out of North, both Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. And uh, at first, it really wasn't clear if there was uh, damage to the pipeline, if there was somehow some kind of accident. But then who, who do you think he was uh, alluding to? I mean, who could, who would, would the European Union damage its own pipeline? That makes no sense. Or do you think he was trying to say maybe the Ukraine? Exactly. I think that's what... That's okay. Yeah, well, I think they're actually busy doing other stuff, but... <laughs> but he also claims that Ukrainians celebrating this hit on the pipeline. And so why are we arming them? Uh, he also says that uh, among the energy sources for Germany, Nord Stream is, uh, offers uh, the most uh, safety and uh, value for money. I also thought it was interesting, just looking at Maximilian Krah, The uh, uh, the politician with the pro-Russian tweets was that was what um, Brett Schaefer told us about how Russia still is is spreading its message, although uh, the RT channel um, was was basically shut down in Germany. So let's just listen to that because I think that's an uh, that's a really important uh, point that he made there. I think the biggest problem or the trickiest problem are the real individuals who promote Russian talking points. Again, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, because there's nothing the platforms are going to do to censor those opinions. And they shouldn't, to be clear. And many of those people have genuine audiences and some are prominent figures in media in their own right. And so those are always the most influential voices. It's not the troll accounts. It's not the fake accounts. It's not the bot networks. It's the real people who have been uh, sort of sucked into the Russian orbit and now promote those viewpoints as if they're their own. There's another tweet, Christine Anderson. She sits in the European Parliament for the AFD. Okay, yeah. And, and, and tell me about her tweet. We are being sold the Ukraine-Russian war and corona as the alleged reason for extremely rising gas, fuel and consumer prices. Strange that global corporations are making record profits at the same time. Her other tweet. The EU Commission makes freezing in the dark a reality. The EU gas emergency plan is so bungling that it is on the brink of collapse already. A disaster for Europe and its citizens who have to pay for the green ideology. Okay, so this is basically um, exactly what what Brett talked about and also what Christine talked about. And that also reminds me of the episode we did about the link between vaccine disinformation and climate disinformation. We'll put a link in the show notes and you can find it if you haven't listened to it. 
did Christine tell you, uh, talk about anything else? Because I, I think she also said she had some kind of outlook on uh, how this issue might just turn into not only energy disinformation, but uh, climate disinformation. I think we could get to a place where if coal consumption goes up significantly, that there could be a campaign to climate-minded young people in particular that, uh, you know, Russia is the much better climate actor and therefore more safer for the long-term health of the planet. And it is better to reestablish ties to Russia and get gas back rather than using coal as is happening right now and that this is irresponsible. But could they make that argument? Because they do play on the right and the left. If anything, and often the further left and the further right you go, you get to similarly anti-establishment and therefore more receptive and vulnerable audiences. You could push both of those. Um, but again, their, their reach right now is significantly limited. She thinks that some of the discontent uh, in the population might be used to pull in another, a completely other type of audience. Is that how you'd understand uh, what we just heard? Yes, exactly. So this was our episode for today. Okay, I thought this was a really interesting topic and a really important and timely topic. And in two weeks, we're going to do that deep dive, the deep dive on homeopathy, which I'm really excited about. And um, I just wanted to thank you all for listening. Please check out our website, theinoculation.com. We'll have the transcripts up as soon as we can. Um, if you like, you can support us, buy us a cup of coffee. It's not only that you can buy us a cup of coffee, you can pay my gas bill or like keep my uh, keep the light on in my uh, in my little home office. Yes, yeah, so maybe uh, help me save on a solar panel. And sign up for our newsletter. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.